Welcome to The Word in Life. The following message is by Pastor James Detweiler. Additional sermons and other resources can be found at thewordinlife.com. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And as you find that, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to see you in Scripture. May our eyes be opened to see Christ for who He truly is. Soften our hearts to receive this morning and to worship in joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul, approximately 2,000 years ago to the church then and just as relevant to the church now, uh, much like his letter to Timothy, that we just completed. Uh, this is another one of his uh, famous prison letters. Paul is suffering and he's uh, communicating some of the most important life-changing truths that have ever been written or said. So as we think about that backdrop, let us ask the question, as a people and as individuals, why are we here <laughs> this morning what are we doing? What is the reason? To what end do we gather? What is the goal? And how do we achieve it? And if there is a goal, how do we pursue it with focus? Now, this might be foreign to some of you to apply to religion or spirituality and faith, the question of why and what and goals and pursuits, but you know how to do this because you do it in other areas of life like sports or academics, your professional life, even exercise and diet. We know how to set a goal and work to achieve it with focus. I bring this up because the goal determines your priorities and informs or guides your decision-making and your actions. So where you're headed, the purpose sets the agenda for the things you do or don't do and how you do them. There's a hierarchy, if you will, of priorities. And if there is a hierarchy, something has to be on top. <laughs> there has to be something that's of first importance, kind of an umbrella under which everything else is placed. Now you may live not conscious of, uh, of these uh, realities of goals and pursuits and things when it comes to uh, all of life, but even spirituality, but they are there nonetheless. So with that said, how does the church as a whole and then the church as individual followers of Jesus play into that equ equation? And I think COVID-19 has brought some of these questions to the surface because we've been restricted to our gatherings and how we are to worship. So have we learned anything from this period? of, For example, not being able to gather in person as the people of God? What have we prioritized? I mean, who are we as the church? Uh, who are we as followers of Jesus and who or what determines the answers to those questions? Do we 
or does God? Because there are many pursuits and priorities out there in the world and culture that are not from God. And they have the habit of creeping into the local church and twisting and perverting what we're doing and how we're doing it. So if that's the case, what are we to do? And Paul's going to tell us this morning. He's going to give us two areas of focus for you to set your eyes upon. One is who is Christ? The identity of Jesus. And the other is who are you? Your identity. Both individually and collectively as the people of God. And there's a proper relationship between the two. Who is Christ and who are we as the people of God and who are we as individuals, followers of Jesus? Because your understanding of Christ and what's happening in the church dramatically should impact all areas of your life. Your relationships, your work, your profession, your finances, your involvement in church, your ministry, your service, and here's the big one. Let's, let's throw out some of those categories and, and let's just say your entire demeanor or attitude in life. We, we can't put Jesus in a box on Sundays and then have, have little to no influence throughout the week. It should be a consuming focus who Jesus is and why it matters. Paul in the way he describes Jesus in this text from today and next Sunday, he presents a life center. Like the sun. We can understand the solar system, right? There's a sun and the planets revolve around the, the sun. And there's an intense gravity towards the center. And that's how our lives should be in relationship to Jesus. He is the center and everything else revolves around. So how do we find our identity in Him? Our identity as the people of God? How do we make these decisions about prioritization? And that's why today's message is entitled, Putting Christ First as the People of God. Putting Christ First as the People of God. And this Sunday and next Sunday, we're going to explore what Paul has to say in Colossians and, and figure this out together. But the big idea is this. The primary decision that a person and a church will make is whether or not to recognize and submit to Christ's preeminence. You make that decision for yourself, and then collectively, a congregation must make that decision to Recognize and submit to Christ's preeminence. So resolve to put Him first in all things. Your life may not be easier if you do so, but it will be clearer. So let's look at the text, picking up with Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. 
Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day... We heard, we have not ceased to pray for for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the Christian as a person and then the collection of Christians as the church, I think it's pretty clear from scripture that the The goal of of that is to the glory of God, to to reveal God as as good as he really is to the world. Um, And that happens as God saves us, he justifies us, he sanctifies us, and one day will glorify us. That's all the work of God. So Paul begins with the what first here, and he'll get to the who, Jesus, describing him later in the passage, specifically next week. But the, the what is built upon the who. So what we are about to see, Paul's description of you individually and the church collectively is built upon the who of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. Paul is a thankful person. Even though he is in prison, he is a thankful person. Why? Have any of you ever visited someone in prison? Not a lot of joy happening there. Not a lot of happiness happening there. But Paul is joyful. Why? Because of what he has heard about the Colossians. What he has heard about the Colossians because of Jesus. So let's just look really quickly about the what. And as you hear these these descriptions, I want you to apply them to yourself and to the church collectively. Verse 4. The Colossians are people of faith. Not just faith in general, abstractly, but faith in whom? Jesus Christ and Christ's gospel. People of faith. So therefore, we are to be people of faith. That's what unites us. I don't care what your background is, race, you know, formal religion, culture, ethnicity, gender. We're united as one body because of faith in Christ. Our faith unites us. Uh, verses 4 and 8, Paul says the Colossians are people of love, that they love in the Spirit. So, love should characterize who we are and what we do. Verse 5, the Colossians are people of hope. They're people of hope. Even in your darkest hour, hope means you're looking forward to something that God has promised to fulfill. That's good for you. They're people of hope, the riches that we see that are in Christ Jesus. Uh, In verses 5 and 6, he says the Colossians are people of truth, which we know, he describes it here, as the gospel of Christ Jesus. This gospel which is unstoppable. As bad as things may seem in the world, the gospel is still advancing. Uh, This gospel that is bearing fruit, 
producing God's purposes. Uh, this gospel that is ever increasing, always advancing, despite what Paul describes as this present darkness, cannot overcome the light that is Jesus, that is in you. And then Paul describes three domains of discipleship, verses 9 and 10. He says the Colossians are people of spiritual growth. He's praying that they be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So there's cognitive discipleship. That's learning with your mind the things of God, who God is and why it matters, the Christian faith. That's part of discipleship, of, of growing in our faith. Then there's effective discipleship. He says, he says, I pray that you would increase in the knowledge of God, that you would know Him. So effective uh, change is one at the level of the heart or the soul. So not just an, enough to have some brain data, but some heart data. Emotions, yes, but something deeper than just emotion. Affection. Knowing relationally, intimately, personally. And then behavioral discipleship. He says, I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit. It's interesting that uh, Paul has uh, the behavior last in this list of three domains, the, the mind and the heart and then the behavior, because so much of religion is behavior first and then the other things. But I'm telling you, that does not work in the long run. It might look good superficially, but if you just want to clean up your life, that's not the gospel. Uh, the gospel is to be set free to find ultimate joy in Jesus and to have your sin forgiven. When you get that truth in your head and your heart, then your behavior changes just as a matter of consequence. It might take some time. We're all being sanctified in this life. It's not immediate often, but it is part of discipleship. What we do are actions. The marks of a true Christian, the marks of a true church. Um, it's a pretty big ask, Paul. How do we pull it off? Is Paul setting the Colossians up for failure? Is God setting us up for failure? Is that standard too high? Is that goal too lofty? No. Because Paul clearly says that these actions and these qualities are the result of God's saving and sanctifying work. It is God who works in you to both will and to act according to his good pleasure and purpose. God acts first to produce these actions in us. Look at verses 11 through 14, just some phrases here. Paul says, may you be strengthened, but in your own strength, no. In your own purpose, no. According to God's glorious might. Is anyone stronger than God? Therefore, if God makes available his might, his power, his ability to you to do these things. Is it an impossible ask? No. He says, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the father. Why would we give thanks to the father if God, the father didn't have anything to do with this? <laughs> if it was just us, 
pulling this off on our own, there would be no reason to give thanks to the Father. We should be giving thanks to ourselves. Because we get the credit. But Paul is saying this is a supernatural spiritual work. This is something that God has to begin and bring to completion. The result of God's saving and sanctifying work. Uh, This loving Father, what has He done? Paul says He has qualified us. Qualified us for what? It says He's giving us an inheritance. I have seen a lot of joyful people at a moment in which a will is read and they find out they just inherited a lot of stuff. We have eternal riches as part of our inheritance in Christ. It's hard for us to understand that now because it's intangible in some ways. It's spiritual. It's for the new heaven and the new earth. Enjoy some of it now. But God has written a will and his heir is his son, Jesus. And Jesus, the son, is going to share the inheritance with his brothers and sisters who are those in Christ. And we were not qualified to receive that inheritance. We were like the the crazy family member who ran off from home and you never heard from them again until the will was read. And they show up and they want some stuff. That person's not really qualified to receive the inheritance. They, They haven't been there. They haven't done anything. They haven't loved the family. But it says God qualifies us. You don't qualify yourself. He qualifies you to receive the inheritance. So you can show up and say, I'm an heir. I'm ready to receive. And he doesn't begrudge us of that. He loves to give us those good gifts and that inheritance. He delights in us. It says he has saved us. That's part of that qualification. He's a holy and righteous God. So in in that qualification, he, he has dealt with our sin. It says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. The atonement makes it possible to come into the family of God. He has saved us. The gospel saves. It redeems. It forgives. It delivers. So all of these things, these ideas, these goals, these purposes, as we will see next week, preeminence of Jesus Christ, putting Him first. They all glorify God and the Christian and the church collectively. They pursue that. They pursue that. We are to be people of faith, love, hope, trust, spiritual growth, service, because God is working in us through Christ. Paul focuses on who who we are to be. And then next Sunday we will see we can be that because of Jesus, the foundation of our identity. Please don't get it reversed. Find Jesus relationally. Mind, heart, hands. Find Him in relationship. Saving relationship. 
Make him number one when you taste and see that he is better than everything else. If you get that right, you're more than likely to get the rest of the stuff right. <laughs> but if you try to get the other stuff right first without knowing Jesus, as impressive as it might seem to the world, to our own prideful hearts, to our family members and friends that we might be able to fool and appear to be religious. In the end, it does not impress God. And it does not merit His favor. And it will not permit you to be with Him forever in heaven. Only Jesus and the gospel will do that. That's who we are in Christ. That's our goal as followers of Jesus and as His church. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? We thank you for this day. We thank you for this good word. We pray that right now you would take it and apply it to our hearts and minds. Right now, your spirit would speak to us individually and collectively in ways that we can apply this truth in the home, in the workplace, in the community, um, and how we think, how we use our time, how we spend the money you've blessed us with, how we treat one another, our hope for tomorrow, our courage for today, that we would put Christ first in all things. And we cannot do that if we have not been born again. So right now, if anyone is struggling with these issues, if they still know they're separated from you because of uh, the guilt of sin, uh, I pray that your spirit would just press upon them that forgiveness and redemption is offered this morning. Uh, that, that Jesus will take their sin and uh, in return give them his righteousness. And because of that, they can have a restored relationship with God the Father. Uh, and they can begin to live life based upon that identity, which is abundant and eternal and life-giving. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us encouraged by this message, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to check us out on the web at www.thewordandlife.com.